Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. We really don't want miracle offering uh, to be a spur of the moment sort of thing. Right, the intent of our miracle offering is, is not simply to, to gather resource, it's to gather our hearts uh, and our attention. And, and, and a part of doing that is prayerful consideration of what God wants us to do. So like uh, Paul says, we put up the scripture in 2 Corinthians, uh, he says, therefore, he doesn't actually start it, therefore, he says, give what you have decided to give in your heart to give. I said give a lot. We've got it there, 2 Corinthians. Uh, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and so today, I really just want to, um, if you've been with us this morning, I kind of like to, to surmise where we were this morning, and we kind of established why we believe in generosity. And, and today, I'd really like to talk about why is it that all of us are called to generosity? What is the call for, for each and every one of us? That good? Yep. Well, let's start with a, a story, and, and I'm not going to go uh, very long tonight. I just want to share a quick story, pull out a couple ideas, uh, and then we'll, we'll finish up there. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 2. Uh, I'm reading from the, pre- the Passion Translation, and this is Jesus at a wedding, the wedding of Cana. It says this, Now on the third day, there was a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet, but with so many guests in attendance, they ran out of wine. And when Mary realized it, she came to him and, and asked, They have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Mary then went to the servers and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, make sure that you do it. Now there were six stone water pots standing nearby. They were meant to be used for the Jewish washing rituals. Each one held about 20 gallons or more. Jesus came to the servers and told them, fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. Then he said, now fill your pitchers and take them to the master of ceremonies. And when they poured out their pitcher for the master of ceremonies to sample, the water became wine. When he tasted the water that became wine, the master of ceremonies was impressed, although he didn't know where the wine had come from, but the servers knew. He called the bridegroom over and said to him, every host serves his best wine first until everyone has had a cup or two. Then he serves the wine of poor quality. But you, my friend, you've reserved the most exquisite wine until now. This miracle in Cana was the first of many extraordinary miracles of Jesus, Jesus performed in Galilee. This was a sign revealing his glory and his disciples believed in him. Why don't you bow your heads, why don't you close your eyes and let's pray. God, we just, we set apart these next few minutes uh, as we look at your scripture, as we look at this word, as, as this miracle offering, as, as this contingent of us gathered together here tonight uh, on this stormy Canterbury uh, evening, we, we just pray that, that you would be in our midst, God, that you would move, that we would establish something of significance and importance in the spirit here tonight and in us. God, we thank you that you're always speaking. We pray that your word would not return void, but that it would take purchase in our hearts, transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's interesting, right? Because Jesus often refers to the, the kingdom of heaven a, as a party. More specifically, he often refers to it as exactly what this is, as a, a wedding feast. But this is the only instance that we have of Jesus attending a wedding feast. Do you get the link there? So Jesus often refers to the kingdom of heaven, what he is doing, what he's about, what he's establishing as a wedding feast. But this is the only wedding feast that we have a record of him attending. And so I think how he behaves, what he does, his, his conduct at this wedding feast gives us a really profound insight into how he views the, the kingdom of heaven. And so what I'd like to do today is just to, to look at three 
little bits of, of this miracle of this event. I want to look at why, how, and who. It's good. It's a good place to look. If you're ever wondering what should I look at, look at why, how, and who. So number one, number one, why? J- just a brief reminder, we the church, and we'll put this up on the screen, we exist. I hope you realize that. Like, yep, we're here. We are in the room. There's a few of us tonight, but we, we are here, and we are strong and mighty in our, in our number, right? And, and we exist, but we don't just exist for the fact of existing. We're not just here to take up space. We exist for a reason. I, I think it's interesting here. When Mary realizes that the wine has run out, she realizes that the party is ruined. This is the end of the party. And so she turns to Jesus, and they say, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Some of us can relate to the statement on, on a few different levels, but, but Mary is speaking to the joy of the event, that the wine is gone, the joy is gone, the life is gone, the party is effectively over, and it's finished too soon. It was meant to go for, for days and days more. It was meant to continue to be a celebration, but if there's no wine, then the whole wedding feast has to be wrapped up. It's a disaster. And so she says, Jesus, can't you do something? It's interesting. All of Jesus' life, especially in, in, in the Gospel of, of John, can be viewed in the, in the shadow of the cross in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. So it's interesting that John starts his narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus with a wedding. Right? The Gospel of John is all about the marriage of heaven and earth in Jesus, that Jesus came to, to bring heaven to us, the, the divine meeting us, that the final purpose of God and creation was not the separation of heaven and earth, but, but it's wonderful reuniting and combining. And, and so there's this hint here in the way that John frames the story that points ahead to, to what Jesus is all about. He starts the story, go to the next slide, on the third day. Right now, other than, than being a great Christian uh, rock band, Third day, that was for some third day fans. Uh, great is, anyway, I won't get to that. Uh, third day is a significant kind of thing, that, that it's a third day here. And, and we might read it and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, he's just, he's just marking it out, you know, creating some time and place for us. But, but it's actually, it wasn't unusual that a wedding would happen on the third day in Jewish culture. In fact, did you know that the third day was the preferred day to be married? No, no, I didn't know that because I'm not in, in Jewish culture, right? Can I explain to you why uh, and then unpack why this is, this is interesting? What's meant by the third day in, in this context is, is a Tuesday, right? It's, it's counting the Hebrew week beginning on Sunday. And so the third day, Tuesday, was usually chosen as the wedding day in ancient Judaism for a couple of reasons. The first one was, was if we go to the next slide, on the third day of creation, the third day is the only day that God saw that it was good twice, Every other day in creation, God says it's good once, but on the third day, he says it was good twice. And as a result, the day is considered twice blessed, right? It's, it's a holy, set-apart sort of day. And, and so that's one reason that people like to get married. They're, oh, you might as well choose like the most blessed day of the week, right? Let's get married on, on that day. That would be a good day to, to get married. There's also a very, very practical reason that people would most often get married on the third day of the week on a Tuesday. Uh, and that's simply because of, of practicalities, In in Jewish law, you didn't travel on the Sabbath. Sabbath was a day of rest. But often, if you were going to a wedding, it's not like today, we just jump in a plane, you you fly up to to Auckland in the morning, and then you're there for the afternoon, you fly back the next day. You have to travel for some days to get to the place that you're going to be a part of the wedding. And then the wedding would often not be a one-day event, but a two- or three-day celebration. And, and, And so if you were going to get the most kind of bang for your buck of travel time, 
If the wedding was on Tuesday, then it meant the Sabbath was on Saturday. You rested. Then you kind of had Sunday, Monday to get to the wedding. Wedding could go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you could travel back on Friday, get back home in time for the Sabbath on Saturday, and it would just be convenient for everyone. And, and so the fact that John points out the fact that it was on the third day isn't just to say, oh, this was a special sort of wedding. It's a normal day to have a wedding. John's pointing it out for another reason. John's pointing it out because the Gospel of John is not written as things happen. It's written after Jesus' death and resurrection. John knows how the story finishes as he starts it here, and he's driving it home and saying something is going to happen on the third day, and so we're starting our story on the third day. It's driven home in the way in which wine replaces the water. The story tells us that these jars have been put there for ritual purification, Water that was meant to, to, to go through, a, you could use in a, a kind of cleanliness ceremony to bring yourself back to a zero-sum balance of cleanliness. But instead of temporary purification that this water is for, Jesus brings transformation. He brings, he brings a new life altogether, that we would come to him for water, and he would meet us with something that meets a deeper thirst. See, Jesus changing this is designed to remind us that something is going to change. So Jesus comes on the third day to bring life to bring grace, to bring peace and joy. And his actions are a picture to us, the church, that we exist for a reason. Why do we exist? We exist because the party needs wine. Some of us are like, yeah, I can get behind that, right? Sauvignon Blanc at church, let's go. It's not quite what I mean, right? But the world needs joy. The world needs celebration. The world needs hope that goes beyond ritual water purification to something more, to something deeper. And our call is to be a part of that. Miracle Sunday is not just, hey, gathering resources, a miracle. It's the fact that the fact we can even be in relationship with Jesus in the first place is a miracle. That there is a call, there is a mission, there's something for us to be a part of. So number one, the church exists for a reason. The party needs wine. But then, you know, that's kind of an established idea. We get that. So, so, so how does a miracle happen? That's an important question. You know, we're all like, yeah, I'd love to be a part of a miracle. How do we do that? How does a miracle come about? How do we play a part? You know, it's interesting in this story here, because what it shows us is, is we serve. Or, or to put it more bluntly, we put in the work. The, the, the moral of this kind of story here in Jesus at the wedding is, is that church needs all of us, all involved, all giving what we can, all of us praying, all of us serving, all of us worshiping, all of us giving, that, that there are no spectators in church. And I think it's interesting because so often in church, we don't feel like doing the work. It's an all right place to be, to say, hey, look, I, I, you know, sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we don't feel like engaging. Maybe this is a sermon that, that you need to share with someone who, who is going to come today. Who is, ah, I just don't know if I, if I feel like it. And, and in this moment, I don't think that Jesus really felt like doing a miracle either. Which is a big statement to make about Jesus. So I, I, I own that and admit it. But it's interesting because he says to Mary, my dear one, which, which is a, a preferred translation to I'll, I'll circle back around. My dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. Other versions, as I alluded to, say, woman, why are you telling me this? Which is an interesting way to speak to your mother, but I think that's less that Jesus was being disrespectful and more that language has developed uh, with time. But, but I love the, the Passion Translation here where it says, my dear one, don't you understand that if I do this, it won't change anything for you, but it will change everything for me. Because it, it captures in the original language, there's this Aramaic idiom that, that essentially means, what will we have in common if I do this? 
What, what will unite us? What will we share anymore if I do this? See, for, Mir- for Mary, a miracle here won't change her life, right? Doing something miraculous will not change Mary's life. But for Jesus, this will be the first public miracle in his ministry, and it will dramatically change his life from this moment on. As the crowd see the power that he possesses, this is effectively, if Jesus does this, it's the first step in his journey to the cross, and Jesus, for context, has just traveled 25 miles after being baptized. He's just traveled a long way. He's probably come to this wedding to celebrate, to blow off a bit of steam, to have a bit of a rest before he launches into what he's called to do. He knows what his purpose is on earth. So he's here to celebrate, not to contribute. Jesus knows that his life will forever change if he performs this miracle. It's not a, it's not a parlor trick. It was the beginning of his ministry. And so here we are. There are six water jars it's interesting not to get too much into biblical numerology, but six in the Bible represents human effort, and, and the story is heavy on imagery. So we have six water jars used for ritual purification, transformed by Jesus into wine used for celebrating a wedding. And, and so these six water jars, they, they effectively represent the fullest extent of human effort. Before the miracle happens, the, the servants at the wedding have given their best. They've done what they can. And I believe this is important because Jesus calls us to do the same. But, but their efforts, as great as they were, as much as they did, they didn't forgive their sins. It didn't make them clean. They gave their best, but they still needed Jesus. So we've got six water jars. If we, if we go to the next slide, I did some maths. I'm, I'm very good at maths, so uh, you can walk this through with me because actually I need my notes or else I'll forget what my maths was. But we've got six water jars. Uh, and of those, I'll show you some. There you go. You can, you can, you can see it. I've got six water jars. Each holds about 20 to 30 gallons. And, and so that's about 100 kilograms of water per jar or 600 liters of water. And so filling these jars, the reason I point this out, it wouldn't have been an easy task. Right, if we cast our mind back to, to how kind of the, the world was at this point, there wasn't a hose, there wasn't a tap. You didn't just kind of run it over and, and put it in and, and fill up the water jar. Instead, you had to get the water from a well. And, and an average bucket, I, I did some research, holds about 10 liters. So to fill up one, that, that's about uh, 60 trips to, to fill up the water jars. And let's say it was a quick trip to the well. Yeah, follow me in my imagination. Let's say it only took 20 minutes to, to get to the well. That would be 20 hours worth of trips backwards and forwards to fill up these six water jars. So what I'm saying is, is just for the ritual purification part of the party, it took a whole lot of work. It took a whole lot of work to even get these jars in a place where they could do anything with it before the miracle even happened. And before it was even meant for a miracle, just to have it there, it took a whole lot of work. And, and I feel like this is such a great picture of church. Because we're not about one person walking to the well and back for 20 hours straight. We're not about one person just, just putting in the work and, oh, man, I'm just, I'm just filling up the buckets, just filling up the, the jars, got to get things ready for the party. One person going at it half a week. No, we're about forming a chain gang. Yeah, one person passing the water down the line to a next person, to a next person, to a next person, working together to get the job done. 600 liters of wine. That's about 800 bottles worth. There's a lot of wine. Right? We're not going to pass judgment on the, on the type of party that was. I'm just going to imagine there were a lot of people there. So it was uh, one standard drink each per hour. Uh, but, but to do it, right, it required all of them working. It, to, to fill the jars, it requires all of us playing a part. So, so point number two, how does a miracle happen? Well, to get to the point where a miracle can even happen, we all play a part. It takes all of us bringing what we have because we're about water jars, not water bottles. 
not just going to the well to get what I need for me, but getting more than enough so that I can share it with others. Jesus told them to fill the pots with water right up to the very brim. You, you might have heard it talked about before that one of our, our values as a church is excellence. We're not about perfection, but, but because we value progress. We want to fill the pots to the brim to do the utmost that we can do so that when we take the water to Jesus, we're ready for the miracle. We're expectant. We're, we've honored what he's going to do. We value the wine. And because we don't want the party confined to our convenience, we want it to go wide and far. So like I said, number one, the church exists for a reason. The party needs wine. Number two, how does a miracle happen? We all play a part. And then I said it was going to be why, how, and who. So the third question is who received the miracle? And it feels obvious at, at first glance, right? Like the, the guests did. The, the master of ceremony said, he's like, usually the, the, you know, you save the, you have the best wine first and then you bring out the worst wine. Just an insight into why that is. It's because everyone's too drunk to tell that the wine is now bad. They're like, well, we don't care. We're sloshed, right? Again, we're not passing judgment on uh, ancient Hebrew culture, but this is how it kind of worked. You brought out the best wine while people still had a, a palate that, that noticed and then you brought out the, the worst wine kind of later on. And, and, and so really, potentially, the guests didn't even notice that this was the best wine. Some of them anyway. They, they, they didn't notice. They, they got the flash wine. They benefited, sure. But, but did they receive the miracle? They got the benefit of the miracle. But they never actually knew that a miracle happened. The guests. They, they, their world wasn't changed. Their faith wasn't built. The guests left having tasted the good wines. But the, the servants left having seen heaven touch earth. See, see, I would say the servants received the miracle. The ones who saw Jesus transform the water into the wine, the ones who were the first to see Jesus' ministry on earth start, they received the miracle. Uh, see, I want to say there are two types of people in John 2. There are the guests, and, and they left refreshed, and they left having had a good time, and that's fantastic. But the servants, the servants left blessed having had their lives changed having seen something miraculous happen. And, and if we just come along on a Sunday and we sit in our seats and we have a coffee and, and we leave, we will leave refreshed. God will turn water into wine. We'll taste something of heaven, and that is fantastic. But I want to say there's more for us, that, that it's not just the, the church that needs all of us involved, that, that we're all a part of the body, but it's better for us when we're involved, that, that, that it, it's, a, it's a higher call. It's a greater honor not just to be guests but to be servants. Because when you choose to step in and contribute, you walk away with a different level of blessing. I'll get uh, the guys up on, on the instruments because we're just about done. The servants always see the miracle. So maybe ask yourself, when is the last time you saw water turn to wine? When was the last time you, you bought what you could? You bought your six pots and you saw God do more with it than you could imagine. So I want to encourage us. We can be involved in miracles, but it's the servants who see them happen. Maybe there's someone who's close to us, who's, who's struggling with church a little bit, who feels like, oh man, I just don't know. I don't know if I'm seeing the miraculous happen. Maybe we need to encourage them that actually it's for their benefit that they get behind the curtain a little bit, that they get involved in filling up the water jars, involved in those moments of, of stretch, of serving, because when we're there, we can see Jesus turn the water into wine, that it's one thing to be a guest enjoying the good wine. It's a whole nother thing to be a servant involved in the transformation itself. Why don't you bow your heads when you close your eyes? I want to say that, that tonight, you know, as we start this journey of talking about our miracle offering, of, of leaning into to what it is we're doing, I, I want to encourage you to consider partnering with us as we take this up, but I also want to consider you to encourage others to partner. 
that, that actually it's a blessing to be able to give. It's a blessing to bring what we have and to partner with God, to, to join with the church, not just financially, but in heart, in prayer, in faith, in serving. And then we do it for a reason, that the party needs wine, that the world needs refreshing, a touch of heaven come to earth, that we have the opportunity to partner in bringing that, that a miracle happens as we all play a part, as we bring what we have, as we do what we can, that it takes all of us, that moving 600 leaders is a team activity, that we are all called, that there is a space and an opportunity for each and every one of us but that who we are corporately will always be a direct reflection of who we are individually. And finally, that as we reserve, as we serve, we receive the miracle. That we get to see God do the impossible. We get to glory in what He does. His heads are bowed, His eyes are closed. I'd love to pray for us. I'd love to take a moment to, to offer a chance to respond to Jesus and then we'll finish with a song of praise. Just His heads are bowed, His eyes are closed. God, I thank You for, for this room for every heart here, for every heart represented that can't be here today. God, that, that as we intentionally lean into what it is you're doing through us, that, that as, as we acknowledge that there is a need, that, that we are building something that matters, that we are building a church that, that's a generational house that serves and that empowers as we build a house of worship and generosity of salvation and freedom. God, that we're building something that the world desperately needs not just us, not just for us, but for others. God, that as we build that, that building it, it takes work. It takes us bringing what we can. It takes six water jars. It takes everyone bringing what they can do. And that as we do that, as we bring what we have, as we do what we can, we see you do the miraculous. Pray for each and every one of us who are considering how we can partner with with your mission. How can we partner with, with being a part of a miracle that as, as he said, it's not so much what we give, but the heart with which we give. That as we pour ourselves out, that, that you know what it costs us and, and you know the, the condition of our heart. I pray that as we, in these next few weeks, lean into this, this moment, this opportunity of generosity, that you would bless those who give, bless the hearts with which they give. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.